Turn with me to the book of Amos. Amos. Minor prophet, the third minor prophet, <clears throat> page 841, if you want to use a pew Bible. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for a Sunday morning where we can gather together and we can be with the church and we can be refreshed and we can worship you. Father, I pray that you would knit our hearts together and that not just my words, but the Holy Spirit would cause us to say, that's what I want. I want a pastor that will lead me to you. I want a church that will help me grow in you. I want to contribute. I want to give myself to the work of God through the body of Christ, the church. Father, do that spiritual work through the truth of your word. God, we ask your blessing on the book of Amos today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to thank Josh Womble for preaching the past two Sundays from the Minor Prophet of Joel. We used two Sundays to finish that. I was able to listen online to those uh, awesome sermons, awesome book of Joel. And now we will continue on to the book of Amos. We have now been several weeks in the Minor Prophets. The Minor Prophets are the last 12 books of the Old Testament. They're not minor in their importance. They are minor in their size. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel are the major prophets because they're very long. The last 12 books of the Old Testament are called the Minor Prophets. I spent three Sundays in Hosea. Josh Womble spent the last two Sundays in Joel. And now we continue on now with Amos. We will spend three Sundays in the book of Amos. And today I want to cover the first two chapters. The first two chapters of Amos. <clears throat> a little bit of a background. Amos, like all the other Minor Prophets, we don't know much about. These books are fascinating because they come strong, they're small, but powerful. They, they come like a hammer. God gives a very strong and clear message to them. Generally speaking, all of the prophet's message is you need to turn back to God. You're not living for him. You're in sin. You are wrong. You need to get right. That's typically the prophet's message no matter where you're at. And we see that in all of these. But we don't know much about these guys. Not a lot, not a lot of mention of them in the Bible, not a lot of background that you can figure out. We don't know much about Hosea, we don't know much about Joel, we don't know much about Amos and, and so forth. But Amos is that one guy that does tell us a little bit about himself. Look at chapter 1 of Amos, verse 1. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Amos tells us a little bit about himself here, that he was a shepherd, that he was a livestock breeder. A little bit later in chapter 7, Amos tells us that he was a dresser of fig, uh, fig sycamore trees. We don't have this on most of the prophets. So, in other words, he was a farmer. He was a guy out in the, in the lands. He was there taking care of sheep. He got his hands dirty. He was one of those guys. In other words, he wasn't a, a very high standard. He wasn't necessarily all that wealthy. He wasn't into politics or into uh, any major leadership. He was like a farmer, and we know that about him there from the beginning. It also tells us that he is from Judah, the southern, southern kingdom, but he prophesied, weird calling, but he prophesied to the northern kingdom, Israel. 
So he wasn't from there, and yet he prophesied to a different people. And in so many ways, he would have been an outsider or a different perspective. But we know this about Amos. We also know there at the end of verse 1 that there was some serious and significant major earthquake that everybody would have known about. We don't really know about that. All of our research doesn't really tell us much about that. But apparently to them, the earthquake meant something. And it says there that this is two years before the earthquake. Interesting. Interesting. So we have this guy, Amos. He's a prophet. He's a shepherd. He's a sheep herder. He's a farmer. That's who he is. And God has called him to be a prophet. I want to remind you that the prophet is somebody that goes and speaks to the people from God. It wasn't very common for God to just clap his hands or clear his throat and just start speaking from the heavens or speaking from the clouds. It didn't happen that way. God has a voice. God has a very clear and distinct word. He always has. God does not want us to be confused about what is his word and what is not his word. Does everybody hear me? God does not want us to be confused about what is his word and about what is not his word. That's why so often this, this notion that is very common today of, man, I'm just looking for a sign, I'm looking for a voice, I wish God would tell me, is not the way that God wants us to find him and his will. God has written down for us a very long book of which God is revealing himself to us. We are to look to God's word. We are to be people of the book. We are to read and study and listen to what God is saying through his word. The Bible is the word of God. It teaches us that it is the very breathed out, inspired word of God. We don't have to go looking majestically or mystically for what God is saying, for he says it here. We learn that through the scriptures, but we also learn that in the practice of the prophets. Not anybody was able to say, hey, I've got a word from God. God made very clear the word is coming from this person, and this person went and told it. God would distinct, make that distinct. God would distinguish that, and we have that with Amos. So Amos, in the southern kingdom, Judah, gets a call from God and goes and tells them what God is saying. And that's what this book is about. When Pastor Mark Dever writes... God called him to serve as a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. Since he was from Judah, he would have been a foreigner in Israel. And to his prophetic calling then, he brought a sharp, listen, businessman's eye and an outsider's honesty. He had come from somewhere he was not raised and did not live. He had a different perspective on these people of God, the Israelites. And now God was going to speak a fresh word to them through Amos. God often does this. We, we struggle to embrace it until it becomes crystal clear, but he does. One commentator says, God often calls surprising people to surprise him in surprising ways, doesn't he? Just think back through the stories in the Old Testament. The pagan Abraham became the father of the faithful. The 80-year-old stuttering Moses became the great lawgiver and liberator of Israel. The young shepherd boy David became Israel's greatest king. On and on we could go. And Amos, a church layman and a farmer, 
was called by God to be a prophet to a nation that appeared to be prosperous and successful, who would have planned such things? But this is how God does it. We often think we need this type of thing in order to make that happen in the work of God, and that's just not the way God thinks about it. God can use anybody at any time in any place, and he most often does. We're reminded of the New Testament when God teaches those who are not very noble, who are not very wise, who seem to be foolish, right? Who are not very wealthy, who are not very pretty, right? It is that sort of a thing where God is often primed to use somebody so that he gets all the glory. We see this in the book of Amos. Prosperous and successful northern kingdom Israel being spoken to by the shepherd, the farmer Amos going to speak to them. It begins heavy. If you look at verse 2. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion. Utters his voice. From Jerusalem, the pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Amos comes and immediately opens his mouth and it is a message that God is roaring. God is uh, upset. God has judgment to bring. I told you this is often what the prophets are saying and yet we see it here in Amos and it is right away. It is the very first thing we see. The Lord roars. If you look back, probably same page, at chapter 3, verse 16 of Joel, what Josh Womble preached just last Sunday, chapter 3, verse 16 says the same thing. The Lord roars from Zion. He utters his voice from Jerusalem, but the Lord is a refuge to his people. The Bible is now describing God in judgment, upset, roaring. We don't have to think too hard about what roaring is. It's this picture of a lion. The most fierce, the most ferocious, the most confident, bold, brave, strong, intimidating that there is in the wild. A lion with big teeth, with a huge mane, with a roar that literally can be heard for miles. The Lord roars. The Lord is thinking now about judgment. He is upset about something. And so what is it that he is upset about? And this is what we need to see. I want to first ask you, do you have that category in your life? Seems today there are so many people trying to be Christian without real Christianity and so many people trying to be of the church without the book of the church. Do you have a category in your life, in your, in your day-to-day, in your family, in your household that the Lord is upset about this? We were reminded yet again this morning reading an Old Testament passage in our Sunday school group about uh, a man who fell into sin, and we know that it was bad. It was bad for the woman. It was bad for the husband. It was bad for the child. It was bad for the nation. It influenced these people. It hurt these people. It let these people down. Adultery was committed, and it was really, really bad and had a ripple effect all over the place, and there were a lot of people affected by it. But you know what the very end of 2 Samuel chapter 11 says? The Lord was displeased. Do you have that category in your life? Have you ever said to your husband or rather husbands to your wife or or to your children, God doesn't like this? And I'm afraid that we don't. I'm afraid you're, you're not serious enough to say that or admit that. 
I'm afraid that you've not taken yourself serious enough, or even worse, God serious enough, to where you can say, God doesn't like this. If you're a liar, you need to hear, God hates that. If you're a cheater, you need to hear, God hates that. God's not for that. God is against that. That doesn't work with God. That won't fly with God. And this is what the prophets are teaching us. I totally understand that a lot of people don't preach from the prophets. I know that you're probably thinking, can we, reduce, can we study something other than the minor prophets? I don't want to hear this message, but this is a message from God. He is roaring in his being upset. And so what is it? Well, it gets really interesting here. He's going to start addressing all of the different nations and how he is upset with them. Look with me at verse 3. For thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Look with me at verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Look at me at verse 9. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Look with me at verse 11. For three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Verse 13. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Here, God speaking through the prophet Amos, he is letting them know, I am upset with you. And this is not a soft and tender talk. This is a roaring talk from God. I am displeased with these nations. Amos writing it this way is fascinating because it's got some poetic, it's got some literature, literary device to it. He keeps saying for three and for four, it causes us to say what's he mean by that. I read and read and studied and studied and tried to figure it out. And all I can find is that people are saying it's just very pointed. It's God saying very particularly, I know these three things that you've done. I know these four things that you've done. I know everything that you're doing. I see it all. I'm the God who sees in secret. Not one deed, not two deeds, not three deeds, not four deeds are hidden from me. I see it all, and I am bothered by it. It is offensive to me. It is sinful against me. It is not for my glory, and for that reason, I will punish. And he goes from one nation to the next nation to the next nation to the next nation. Does God really feel that way? How do you think God feels right now about the nations? How does God feel right now about Russia? How does God feel right now about North Korea? How does God feel right now about the United States of America? These are big questions to ask and hard questions to consider. And what I'm saying is we hardly think about those things. But I'm afraid we think about those things more than we think about our own selves. It reminds me several years ago I was teaching uh, children's ministry. Don't even recall where I was. But I just had this notion to ask the kids, does their dad ever get mad? Man, that was a good question to ask a group of kids. Does your dad ever get mad? I learned to never ask that question again. I learned too much information that day. I said, did your dad ever get mad? And I came to this one little boy whose dad was like one of the most godly guys we knew. I said, did your dad ever get mad? And I was curious to see what he would say. I mean, this guy was a leader in the church. Does your dad ever get mad? And you know what he said? He can. 
But I like that answer, don't you? Listen, moms and dads, men and women, I hope you can get mad. I hope there are some things that get you worked up. I hope you're not quick-tempered. The Bible describes that believers should not be quick-tempered. There should be a spirit about us and a grace about us that gives us slow to anger and patience inside of us. But I hope there is a set inside of you of what you love and what is right and what your convictions are and so that you are able to get bothered and rubbed the wrong way and upset and even angry over things. We even saw our sinless and holy Lord Jesus angry at times. I hope that's inside of you, that you can. And I want you to see from Amos that God can get displeased. God can be angry. He can be upset. And what we have here in Amos is him going nation after nation after nation, telling the people of Israel that. But here's the thing. We often, in some weird way, get a kick out of other people who are in the wrong getting punished. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we're absolutely for justice. But you see what I'm saying? Maybe they were starting to think, yeah, get them, God. That nation, they're wicked. That nation, they're pagan. That nation, that way. And and, and you can almost sense that the people of Israel were kind of like, one commentator says, If the northern Israelites were put off by Amos' southern accent, you can be sure they liked what he said about their enemies. This is a preacher we can listen to. He tells us what's wrong with everybody else. That hits home, doesn't it? I know that right now I could start preaching against things that don't even really matter to us, and y'all would think, get them, Josh. Categories of people, right? It would be so easy for me to just start welling on those people that live in Prospect or Goshen that have more money than they know what to do with, who don't even know where Fairdale is. They don't associate with people that live in Fairdale. It would be easy for me to start talking about the the upper elites, or it would be easy to talk about those that go to uh, wealthy schools or, or live in lives that we can hardly consider. And we start talking about all of their problems. When we start talking about people who are into things that we're not into, it's just so easy to say, man, those people are messed up. They're so different, man. That's odd. They're weird, this or that. And it seems like that's what the people of Israel were thinking because in chapter 1, God comes out roaring. He's upset. He's bringing his judgment. And it's those people and those people and those people and that nation and that nation. Well, let's make clear about it. Chapter 1 is saying that God is roaring, God is upset, and God does have judgment for those nations. I would encourage you to read chapter 1 and all the things that they are doing wrong that he is upset about. But for time's sake, I want us to move forward because God doesn't even stop at the end of chapter 1. He keeps going. Look at chapter 2. For thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. So there's another nation, but look who comes next. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four. 
God hits that pagan nation, that pagan nation, that pagan nation, that pagan nation. These nations don't know God. And he's saying, I'm going to punish you, I'm going to punish you, I'm going to punish you. And all of a sudden, just like that, he says Judah. He's talking about Amos' people where Amos came from. Now remember, Amos is not preaching to Judah. And Amos is not preaching to the nations. He is preaching to the northern kingdom Israel. So it's almost like the northern kingdom Israelites were thinking, yes, yeah, they are. We hate them too, God. Yes, they're ugly too. We hate them too. And then all of a sudden they hear Judah and it's like, they're just south of us. They're actually a part of us. And all of a sudden they're not clapping anymore. All of a sudden they're realizing, "Uh uh-oh, if he's hammering Judah, there's a good chance he's about to hammer us. But let's look what he says about Judah. For three transgressions, I'm at chapter 2, verse 4. For three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Guys, if you love the word of God, look at what their sin is. They have rejected the law of the Lord. They have not kept his statutes. But their lies have led them astray. Those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Chapter 1 says that the Lord roars at the nations with judgment, but chapter 2 is now leading us that the Lord roars at his people with judgment. Do you see what their problem is? They have rejected the word of God. They have not followed the word of God. They're, listen to me. Listen to verse two, chapter 2, verse 4. Their lies have led them astray. Is God and his word and his church and his people his pastors teaching you something that you are convicted by and yet you're telling yourself something else so to not be guilty and ashamed? Does God say not do this and you know to not do this and yet you're still doing this and it's your lie to yourself that's caused you to feel comfort? Do we pat ourselves on the back because all things considered, we're doing better in obedience than the rest of this filthy world? Does that comfort you? Does that lie comfort you? Does it could be worse? I mean, I'm not that bad. I hope you, like me, cringe and are bothered to your bones when you hear people say, oh, send me to hell for it. I guess I'm going to hell. Like you hear people say all the time when they're doing something that mildly bothers them or convicts them. I don't know who's going to hell. Really, honestly, don't have much of a clue. We'll leave that to the hands of God. But the Lord roars about how serious these things are. And it's not just to those people out there doing the ridiculously wicked thing. He is roaring at his people, Judah. 
Jerusalem, Bethlehem is in Judah. He is roaring at them. And what is it that they're doing? He doesn't tell us that they're out there robbing banks or mass genocides. He doesn't tell us that they're out there uh, doing drugs like crazy and getting people to. He keeps it very simple because the people who say they know God have a very clear and easy, simple way to live life. Follow God. Hear his voice. Know his word. Follow his ways. He is angry Three transgressions or four, I will not revoke the punishment. They have rejected the law of the Lord. They have not kept his statutes. Folks, if you love the Lord God, if you really are a Christian, it ought to bother you on what the word of God says and whether you're trying to obey it. You ought to never, ever ever find comfort in your disobedience. You ought to hear the prophet saying, God is displeased with this. This is why the, the characteristic or the, or, the, or the mark of a true believer and child of God is one who is constantly saying, oh God, I need mercy. Oh Father, forgive me of my sins. Oh God, look to me and be gracious to me. As our Psalm 67 led us in call to worship, the opening prayer, verse 1, is, oh God, be gracious to us and bless us. This is the prayer. It is not a prayer or an attitude or a disposition that is saying to God, I'm good enough or I'm not bad enough or, or I'm okay. That is scary. And God here is roaring. All of us coming back from a mission trip, coming back from a busy summer, coming back from missing last Sunday, should be here today thinking, oh God, keep me close to you. Father, I know Jesus is real. He died for my sins. The blood can wash him away, and I need it, God. Draw me in. Keep me. Love me. Take care of me, God. Keep me close to you. Guard me from my sins. Guard me from my arrogance. Guard me from my disobedience. God, don't roar at me. Hide me in the Savior, Jesus. And all of this is not yet to the message. That to the nations was, yes, he roars in judgment. That to Judah was a wake-up call. Yes, he roars in judgment to his people. But now, beginning at verse 6, he roars in judgment to Israel. The northern kingdom, the ten tribes, the Israelites. For three, verse 6, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Let's see what he says. Because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is Profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. And then he goes on and on. He is speaking to the people of Israel. The nations knew that they were to be the people of God. The Israelites knew that they were supposed to be the people of God, and yet they are living in ways that we all know are not representing God. 
Do you hear what it says? I told you a couple of weeks ago in Hosea, there's some words in here that, that are so close, the parents are going to have to explain to the children, but look what it says here. Verse 7, they trample the head of the poor. Folks, we can't study the Bible and not see that we, the church, the people of God, are to be concerned about the poor, to be involved in the lives of the poor, caring for the poor. We're not talking about it this week, but we will in a couple of weeks. Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous sermon comes from the book of Amos. And we will get there. Where he talks about how much not caring for the poor and the minority is happening. But that's not this week. You see what it says right after that? And I hope you will cringe, but it's not too far off. A man and his father go into the same girl among the people of God. The Israelites and the nations watch this as they try to figure out what the salvation of the Creator looks like. The Lord is roaring that this is not what I'm like. The Lord is saying to His people, that's not what I'm like. And I wonder how many times your neighbor realizes you go to church and thinks, I don't know much about God, but if they are a representation of God, I'm not sure what I think of him. I wonder how many times your waiter or server at the restaurant knows that you're a believer from some sort of way and thinks, I don't know much about God, but if that's what God is like, I'm not sure what I think about him. Or your coworkers, or Heaven forbid your boyfriends or your girlfriends or your classmates or your children or your parents or whoever it is says, I don't know much about God. I've never been to church. I don't read the Bible. But if God is like what you're showing me, I'm not sure what I think about God. And God made the people of Israel to be a light among the nations. And it's not working. God is not represented well. He's represented poorly. God looks bad. There's nothing bad about him. And so he's roaring with judgment on the nations. Yes, we see that he's against the nations. God is not letting Israelites think, well, he's okay with the nations. No, he's not. God is against all sin. He's against all disobedience. But to make that crystal clear, he starts with the nations, then he turns to Judah, but then he hits right there on Israel and says, I'm displeased. He was displeased with them because they were against his word. He was displeased with them because they were against the poor and the neglected. He was, a, he was displeased with them because they were against themselves and God's name with immorality. When you get to this spot, knowing that God roars in judgment and he's displeased, you start to say, well, what, what's the answer then? What do I do? Do I say I'll do better or what? And then he speaks to that. Look with me at verse 12. But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I will press you down in your place as a cart full of sheaves presses down. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand. He who is swift of foot shall not save himself, nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. God looks at them, says, I'm roaring in judgment against you. I'm displeased with you. You're wrong with what you're doing. When you hear that, you think, okay, what can we do? 
And so somebody fast says, I'm about to book it away from this prophet. And somebody strong starts saying, I ain't afraid of anybody. And somebody who's been believing all the lies they tell themselves says, we're good. We're good people. We're not as bad as them. We're not like all those people out there. And we start telling ourselves all of these things. Next thing you know, our comfort is in our message to ourselves, and it's not in God's message to us, and that is scary. That's like being before a roaring lion and saying, oh, we'll be okay. He doesn't like to eat us. He talks to the strong. He talks to the fast. He talks to those who think they prophesy. He talks to those who think they are stout of heart. Oh, we've got a good heart. got a strong heart. I'm a good person. And he finds all of these false securities. And he says, no, I see you. But it's a quick glimpse to the rest of the book. Look at chapter 5, verse 4, and we'll be done. Very short and sweet. For thus says the Lord God, thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live. Does everybody see that? Amos 5.4, seek me and live. Y'all, the Lord does not roar at us in judgment. If you've been tuned in for the last 30 minutes, and you realize it's lunchtime and you're tuning out right now, listen to me. The Lord does not roar at you in judgment just so he can beat you down. God is not that way. God doesn't discipline us because he likes to bruise. He disciplines us because he loves to love. Because he welcomes back. And the message of the roaring lion is seek me and live. Folks, when we are aware of our flaws, when we will admit our sins, when we will stop believing our own lies, but listen to the truth of God, that he's roaring in judgment, that he is displeased with our lives, that we've sinned against him, we are to hear from him that he loves us and sent his son Jesus to die. And we are to not distance ourselves from him. We are to turn toward him with our sins, with our flaws, with our guilt, with our shame, with our conviction. And we are to say, God, I seek you. God, forgive me of my sins. Father, have mercy upon me. And the Bible says that all who come to him will find life. In him is life. But those that do not seek him do not find life. They take the roaring, they take the judgment, they take the opposition, and they die in condemnation and judgment. The minor prophets are going to keep going and saying, God sees your sin, he sees your rebellion, turn back to him. And those that do will live. So as we're getting started in the book of Amos, may we know that God can get angry. He does see our sins, theirs and ours, and he roars in judgment. And may you and I say, God, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, I repent. And may we know Amos 5, 4, 5, 4 seek him and live.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so very much for the minor prophet's strong message, especially Amos's. God, thank you for this message that he would speak to the nations but then come directly to us. Father, we don't want to be roared against. We don't want to be judged. May your grace lead us to Christ where we find love and safety. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.